I thank God often for a worshiping church. It's sad to say, but it's in this day and age with all that we see happening around us, a worshiping church is rare. To go into a place where God is revered and God is respected and God is honored as God is rare. And so I do not take it for granted when the saints of God come together in worship. The Bible says, they that worship God must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And if you ever want to know what worshiping in spirit and in truth looks like, then we certainly had a good example of that today. And so I'm grateful to all of you and to this worship team and to just the spirit of excellence in worship that was on display today, for I do feel, in fact, the love of God. Amen? Our scripture today came from the gospel according to St. John, the 8th chapter and the 31st through the 47th verse. I'll read it again so that we are all kind of on, in the same place and on context. This is, in fact, the last Sunday of Black History Month. And so I thought, as I was spending time in my private preparation, that I would speak a message that would not so much, uh, you know, be a normal sermon, but one that would sort of get us to kind of think differently about black history and American history and in the context of this month. Now, the scripture is going to seem a little strange to you, in, but it, believe me, it's going to take us somewhere. So John's 8th chapter, the 31st to the 47th verse, reads as follows. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Let me read that again. Jesus says, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved or a slave to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? It is one thing to say that I'm not a slave. It's another thing to know whether or not you are truly free. Jesus answered them and said, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain Forever. So if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, Jesus said to them. Yet you seek to kill me because, what? My word has no place in you. I speak the things which I've seen with my father, therefore you also do the things which you have heard from your father. Jesus is making a distinction between his father and their father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You're not doing the deeds of your father, they said to him. But they said, we are, we are not born of fornication. We have one father, God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceed forth and have come from God for I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I'm saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. 
He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear me, because you are not of God. These are not my words. These are the words of the Spirit of the Lord, the words of God. So the question then becomes, what is Jesus really talking about? Well, I want to put this in its proper context for us here today as we honor and celebrate and close out this last Sunday of black history. In the mid-1500s, brothers and sisters, there were European mariners. They started bringing black Africans to America as slaves. This forced migration is, in fact, unique in all of American history. But the slave trade was really not new to Europe or Africa. As a matter of fact, in the 8th century, there were Moorish merchants who they actually traded human beings as merchandise out throughout all of the Mediterranean. And what you need to know is that many West African peoples, black folks themselves, they themselves also kept slaves. And the people who eventually became slaves were people who were either prisoners of war or criminals or what we would consider the lowest form of people in human mankind. However, they had these caste systems. They were already, there was already a tendency in people, human beings, to subjugate people, human beings created in the image of God, there was already a tendency to treat people as if they were nothing more than animals. The capture and sale of Africans for the American slave market was barbaric and it was lethal. People died. The, the history books tell us that two out of five West African captives died on the march to the Atlantic coast where they were sold to European slave traders. On board these slave vessels going through the Middle Passage, they were chained below decks in coffin-sized racks. And it is estimated that one-third of these unfortunate individuals died at sea. I'm still talking about black history. And so today we're going to have kind of like a little history lesson because I want to make sure that I keep things in its proper context. And you will see more illumination of what Jesus is talking about in this text. In America, they were sold at auction to owners who wanted them primarily as plantation workers. Slave owners could punish slaves harshly, and they would break up families by selling off family members one by one without care or concern for the emotional trauma that this was producing on these unsuspecting, innocent human beings. Yet, despite the hardships, slaves managed to develop a strong cultural identity on plantations, all adults looked after all children. And although they risked separation, the slaves frequently married and maintained strong family ties. And after being introduced to Christianity, they developed their own forms of worship, spirituals and musics, songs that we sing today, way in the water, was how they would kind of keep themselves together and to hold their family units together. Why? When you have absolutely nothing, sometimes the only thing you can hold on to is a song in your heart. I don't know how many of you have ever been to the place where you are struggling in your lives, black, white, green, yellow, or pink, whatever your persuasion, but somehow God gives you a song in your heart that lifts you out of the bowels of your own miry clay. These spiritual songs expressed the slaves' endurance in their religious belief, and they frequently altered the lyrics of songs in order to carry the hope of a freedom that they longed for. 
In time, African culture enriched much of American music, theater, and dance. African rhythms found their way into Christian hymns and into European marches. The banjo, which we all see, evolved from an African stringed instrument. And the sound of the blues, which many people enjoy today, is nothing more than a combination of African and European musical scales. But we move now into the 17th and the 18th century. Some blacks were able to get their freedom. They were able to acquire property and gain access into American society. And many of these black Africans, they moved to the north. Why? Because slavery was not so much pronounced in the north, even though it still existed in some form, but less of a presence. African Americans, both slave and free, also made significant contributions to what? To, to the economy and to the infrastructure by working on roads and canals and construction of cities. So there's always been a part of the African-American black experience where people were contributing to this society whether or not the society appreciated their contributions. By the early 1800s, many whites and free blacks in the northern states began now to call for the abolition of slavery. Frederick Douglass, which we all know, Frederick Douglass, right? There he is. Frederick Douglass, a young black laborer who was taught to read by his master's wife in Baltimore in 1838, escaped to Massachusetts, where he became a powerful writer, editor, and lecturer for the growing abolition movement. Frederick Douglass knew that slavery was not the South's problem alone to bear, but also that the economy of the North depended on the slave trade of the South. And so he challenged the northern audience to take up the cause against southern slavery and is known for asking this question. Here is a question Frederick Douglass asked. Are the great principles of political freedom and natural justice embodied in the Declaration of Independence extended to us? What to the American slave is your 4th of July? When the Civil War began, many northern blacks volunteered to fight for the Union. Some people expressed surprise at how fiercely black troops fought, but black soldiers were fighting for more than restoring the union of these United States. They were fighting to liberate their people. Today, many of the luxuries that you and I enjoy came at a tremendous cost to those that have come before us. So as we close out this last Sunday's recognition of Black History Month, I thought to speak a message that emphasizes that American history is black history. And, no, and to pick up on where Frederick Douglass left off with the question, are the great principles of political freedom and natural justice embodied in the Declaration of Independence? Is that extended to us? So I have titled this sermon, this message today, appropriately, for this closing of Black History Month, make America great again. Let us pray. Eternal God, our Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we appeal to you as the author and the finisher of our faith. We've offered you our worship and our praise and our hearts and everything that we know how to offer you. So today, Lord, now on this day, as we celebrate African-American history, black history, a history of all people, as a matter of fact, white, yellow, green, pink, we say to you, God, you created us and fashioned us in your image. And so therefore, the diversity of who we are as a people is a direct reflection of who you are as God. And so, Father, we ask that you turn this monologue back into a dialogue now and speak back through your manservant to your people. Let me preach a word, Lord, that will not just make people feel excited and happy, but one that will make people think and ponder 
and recognize that you are God from the beginning and to the end, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, and that you, God, are in control. For you know the plans you have for us. Plans to prosper us and not to harm us. Plans to give us hope and a future. So we turn this over to you now, Lord. Whatever mistakes I make, count it to me. But speak life to your people. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I started talking about the, the, the Declaration of Independence, right? And there's an image of it that I have up there. But I want to read for you the introduction of the Declaration of Independence that was signed in 1776, right? Because Frederick Douglass, as I said before, was asking the question, what did he say? Are the great principles of political freedom and natural justice that are embodied in the Declaration of Independence, do they extend to us? Us meaning people of African descent. So even if you're Puerto Rican or you're Spanish, you are a person of African descent, believe it or not, right? So this includes all of us, right? And so here is what it says in the Declaration. Now, not my words. It's what they wrote in when? 1776. Not my words. Got it? <laughs> so here's what it says. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bonds which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. Wow. Now this was written to England. In other words, the founders of this nation were simply saying that when your government has decided to operate in a manner that is inconsistent with the principles under which it is founded, the people have a right to decide to separate. That's what they're saying. Now, here's what it says in the foundations of a free government. These are not my words. It's what's written in the Declaration. It says, we hold these truths to be self-evident. Let me stop right there for a moment. Let me give you some history. Now, we went into our text. And what did our text say in the beginning? It said, Jesus says, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples. Is that not what Jesus said? Jesus then goes on to say, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Jesus' words. So now we've got these, 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 these folks now who are writing this now because they believe an injustice has been done to them. And so they write, we hold these truths to be self-evident. Now, the reason why I want to stop there for a moment is that here's a little history lesson. When this was originally written, that's not how it started out. It said, we hold these truths to be sacred and divine. Thomas Jefferson wrote that in the Declaration. We hold these truths to be sacred and divine. Benjamin Franklin said, I don't want that language. So he took out that, that part about sacred and divine, and he changed it to self-evident. What's the difference, church? The difference is when you say it's sacred and divine, what you're saying is that we're appealing to a truth that is of God. So when Benjamin Franklin changed it to be self-evident, it means that we now become God ourselves. We now are depending on what we see, what we know, what we understand about the world, and that's what we're considering the truth. But Jesus said in his word, we, he says what? You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. The question is, whose truth are we talking about? Is the truth what God says, or is the truth what you see? See what I'm saying? So when people talk about America is a Christian nation built upon Christian principles, I won't deny that 
in its entirety. But let's be very clear what we understand when we say God is either God or he's not. Either you are God or he is God. So when you say from the beginning from the Declaration of Independence, and listen, we need to teach this stuff in schools. And the church, and oh, by the way, let me just digress for a moment. There was a time when the church was the moral authority in these United States, where when we spoke from the pulpit, people got edified because I wasn't speaking my truth. I was speaking the truth of what God says. And Jesus says, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. What is more beautiful to someone who is enslaved than to hearing about freedom? We hold these truths to be self-evident. Okay. That all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator. Okay. With certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And then it goes on to say that to secure these rights, this is the Declaration of Independence, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Okay. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundations on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to effect their safety and happiness. So here's what I'm saying to you, brothers and sisters, as you think about the African-American experience, the black experience in the context of this, Frederick Douglass's question becomes even more poignant. Are the great principles of political freedom and natural justice embodied in the Declaration of Independence extended to us? See, this is where the rubber hits the road. Because many of us want to say, well, you know, America is the land of the free and the home of the brave. But for who? For who that can't drive down the street without wondering whether or not they're going to get shot just because they got what? Skittles. I'm just saying. When this was written, did this have us in mind? Which is the question that Frederick Douglass is asking. Now, it's a question that I intend to answer at the end of this message. And you might be surprised at what you hear. But nonetheless, we get to 1787, because that was written in what? 1776. So we get to 1787, which is now 11 years later, after the United States, after they have pulled away from Great Britain. And they say, listen, you're an unjust king. You are an unjust king. And we have the right to form our own government. 11 years later, the country is in chaos. They have no idea what they're doing because <laughs> they never ran a government in a country before. So now in 1787, there's a union now between the states, and it's, everything was unraveling. And so to save the young nation, they sent 12 delegates who met in Philadelphia with a gentleman by the name of George Washington. <laughs> George Washington is presiding over now this new form of government. And in this new form of government, they decide to write a different document 11 years later. We know this document as what? The Constitution of the United States. So now they're going to put to paper something that says, this is how we're going to function. Okay, I like that so far. I'm with you. But I'm still thinking in the mind of an African slave. You're doing all of this wonderful stuff, but what does it mean for me? And so they write in this word, the document, we the people of the United States in order to form a more what? Perfect union. Establish justice. Ah, you've got my attention. Ensure domestic tranquility. You've got my attention. Provide for the common defense. Really? Promote the general welfare and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. Do ordain and establish this constitution for the United States of America. So now I'm a slave. 
And I see words like justice, tranquility, common defense, general welfare, securing the blessings of liberty, posterity. And I'm wondering, what does that mean to me? Well, in 1787, you need to know that something else was happening simultaneously. In 1787, there was some org an organization called the Free African Society that was being organized at the very same time by these free slaves. Remember I told you that these slaves, they went to the north? Well, they went to the north. And when they went to the north, they started to organize themselves. And so they organized themselves in a way that says, okay, we got to start taking care of each other. So this, this Free African Society in 1787 is, was founded by Richard Allen. Ever heard of him? Founder of the AME Church. And another brother called Absalom Jones. They don't name children like that no more. Absalom. Absalom. His name got a little power to it, right? 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 Absalom. Okay, so they, they come together, and here's what they wrote in the preamble of the Free African Society. Now, this is kind of like a little history lesson, but we're going somewhere. And I ain't going to take up all day, trust me. But it's important information as we close out Black History Month. You agree? Here's what they wrote. Whereas Absalom Jones and Richard Allen, two men of the African race, talk about identity, two men of the African race who for their religious life and conversation have obtained a good report among men. These persons, from a love to the people of their complexion, whom they beheld with sorrow, because of their irreligious and uncivilized state, often commune together upon this painful and important subject in order to form some kind of religious society. But there being too few to be found under the like concern and those who were differed in their religious sentiments with these circumstances, they labored for some time till it was proposed after a serious communication of sentiments that a society should be formed without regard to religious tenets, provided the persons lived in orderly and sober life in order to support one another in sickness, and for the benefit of their widows and fatherless children. So when I read these things and I think about history and I say, you know, you hear things like, well, you know, uh, black men don't know how to care for their children. Don't know how to love their children. Who are they talking about? Because it ain't me. So by 1787, we have two parallel tracks, the forming of these United States in the Constitution and another organization of African people in the North who have seen the plight of their people and deciding that, wait a second, if y'all are going to look out for yourselves, then guess what? We're going to look out for each other as well. Whatever happened to that spirit of community where we were our brothers and our sisters, keepers, we need to get back to basics. It is out of the Free African Society that the African Methodist Episcopal Church was formed. And so as I've been pastor of this church, I've been trying to tell you, you are part of something so much greater than yourselves. We're not just a little church on the corner. We are part of something greater than ourselves. We are 3 million people worldwide in almost over 40 countries, 7,000 congregations. We represent all kinds of people, black, white, green, yellow, pink. We have a new AME church in Brazil. And if I have my way, we'll have one in Guatemala too. What am I saying to you, brothers and sisters, is that you need to understand who you are, what you have come from. And so we celebrate black history in the month of February. Cool. I'm okay with it. That's nice. But listen to me. I am a walking black history. But I'm also walking American history. 
You can't take nothing from me because this nation is what it is. So when you say make America great again, what you're really saying to me is something different than what you think you're saying. I'm going to get to that in a moment. Are you still with me? So despite the fact now, but the story continues. The story continues. So despite the fact that the United States was now a constitutionally governed nation with all the rights and privileges of sovereignty, there was a cancer growing deep within the bowels of this new birth, and that cancer is slavery. According to the dictionary, here's how the dictionary defines slavery, and I look it up. Slavery refers to the condition in which individuals are owned by others who control where they live and at what they work. Hmm. Now, when I read that, I said, that's a really nice definition. That's cute. Because here's what I know. Right now, all of us, we work jobs, don't we? And if you think about your job and your boss and the money you make and everything that's going on in your life, think about that while I read this definition again. It says, slavery refers to a condition in which individuals are owned by others. Verizon, AT&T, the school system, who control where they live and at what they work. You see what I'm talking about? So if, if based on that definition, you kind of think you're kind of like a slave today, right? You're kind of like a slave based on that definition. But what I'm trying to do and get to you and the point I'm trying to make is that that definition, the bite that the dictionary gives, doesn't come close to what slavery really is. So let me give you my definition. Now, you, don't, you can quote this if you want, but this is my definition. And it's a working definition because I'm working on developing a real definition that I'm going to publish one day. Here's my definition. Slavery is the demonic manipulation of people through the deprivation of their humanity and dignity in order to advance their own evil, selfish, and malicious desires. How about that? Why won't the dictionary say that? You know why? Because now I got this, these three bars on my arm. What I write now is quotable. So I'm working on this definition, and I'm going to publish it one day. That's what I want to see in the dictionary. Not about, oh, you know, who live where they work and control. Oh, no, 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 no. The demonic manipulation of people through the deprivation of their humanity and dignity in order to advance their own evil, selfish, and malicious desires. When viewed this way, we see slavery for the evil that it really is. Now we're going to go back to the text in a moment because Jesus has something to say. This evil I call a cancer that rests at the heart of these, this thriving United States economy, and in particular, the South. Now, as I shared with you before, some blacks, they moved to the North. And one of those blacks, of course, we know was Richard Allen, the first bishop of the AME Church. But the fact that slavery was still a very much a big part of the American economy, it led to something called the Civil War, right? It's a quick overview of history. You know, sometimes you need a refresher. So the Civil War now came, and the, now, there are some in American society that would tell you that the Civil War was fought for other reasons, like, 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 like you know, they were saying that the Civil War, you know, was about making America a Christian nation. It was really fought because there were good people who wanted this to be a really churchy, churchy country. Now, let me be very clear. The Civil War was fought for no other reason other than slavery. The issue was slavery. Hands down, no, no matter what they're teaching you in school, it ain't nothing about making this a Christian nation and all of that. It was about slavery. So while the revolution of 1776 created the United States, the Civil War in, of 1865, some 80 years later, 
80 years later, determined what kind of nation this would be. The war resolved two fundamental questions. One, whether the United States was to be a dissolvable confederation of sovereign states or an indivisible nation with sovereign national government or, or born of a declaration that all men are created equal with an equal right to liberty would continue to exist as the largest slave-holding country in the world. The civil rights was fought to make that distinction and that determination. Now, of course, we know as I fast forward, the war ended when General Robert E. Lee surrendered to General Grant and the Confederate generals throughout the, the southern states, they eventually followed suit. We get it. The Confederacy collapsed. Slavery was abolished. Four million black folks were free, let loose on these United States. And during the Reconstruction era followed the war, national unity was restored. The national government expanded its power. Civil rights were granted to free black slaves through an amendment in the Constitution, which we know as the 13th Amendment, which says neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as punishment for a crime, meaning the prison justice system, shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to jurisdiction. So what I'm trying to tell you is that in 1776, they wrote the Declaration. 11 years later, in 1787, they brought the Constitution. It took 80 years yeah, yeah, yeah. later for them to actually try to live up to the ideals of what was written in the document. Now, you ask me, Jesus says, <laughs> Jesus says, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Okay, I still want to be free, but I don't feel free. So even after all of this now, we go back to what? The, con the Reconstruction period. Now you're going to build this new nation upon principles that everyone is going to say works. By 1870, five years after the Civil War and all of that, black folks started to buy schools and purchase schools and build their own things and started doing their own thing. Black people said, okay, you only give us nothing because when, when, when the war ended, what you need to know is that the North said to those Confederate generals, okay, y'all lost a lot of money with your slaves, so we're going to hook you up. But these four million blacks that we released, they got to fend for themselves. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Figure it out. You've been spending all your life, you destroyed your family, the trauma, everything that went on in your life is completely discombobulated. You're a mess, but now you got to figure it out for yourself. So black folks said, okay, we're going to try to figure it out for ourselves. So we're going to wade in the water. We're going to make our move. We gonna... They started to build their churches, their own barbershops, started to doing their own thing, but something happened. Many Southerners started to see this. Here's what you need to know. In 1870, black Americans sent 22 people to Congress to represent them. Remember, we hold these truths to be what? Self-evident. That's what the document says. So they say, okay, so we can represent ourselves. We are for the people, by the people, of the people. We're going to send 22 of our own to represent us in Congress, and they didn't like that. Has any of you seen that movie, Birth of a Nation? If you've never seen that movie, not the new one, the old one, you can see how the racial stereotypes came. They had these black folks sitting in, these, in, in Congress with their barefoot up eating watermelon and fried chicken. That was the imagery, and they say, this is the blacks that they're sending to Congress. So now you get all these stereotypes that come around about black people, lazy, shiftless, good for nothing, and all they want is our white women. So they created, they created these stereotypes. 
I'm just telling you the truth like it is. So there arise now this organization called the KKK, which decides now we're going to figure out how we're going to get rid of these, these, these folks. So they started lynching them. But what you not all need to know is that the, the progressive blacks now started to lose their schools. They started burning their churches. Emmanuel AME Church, South Carolina. <laughs> burned the church. Denmark VC, which we learned about last week. All of these people now really trying to figure out how is it that we're going to find our place in this nation that says that it's for us and all of us. Well, we go back to Frederick Douglass. What did he say? Are the great principles of political freedom and natural justice embodied in the Declaration of Independence? Is that for us as well? I find it appropriate at this time as I prepare to close this message to share with you an excerpt from a speech given at the United Nations General Assembly in 1963 by Haile Selassie I, Emperor of Ethiopia, and popularized in a song recorded by the Honorable Robert Nesta Marley, more commonly known as Bob Marley, a song appropriately titled War. Here's what the lyric says. Until the philosophy, which holds one race superior and another inferior, is finally and permanently discredited and abandoned, everywhere is war. And until there are no longer first-class and second-class citizens of any nation, until the color of a man's skin is of no more significance than the color of his eyes, and until the basic human rights are equally guaranteed to all without regard to race, there is war. And until that day, the dream of lasting peace, world citizenship, and the rule of international morality will remain but a fleeting illusion to be pursued but never attained. Everywhere is war. Subhuman bondage have been toppled, utterly destroyed. Everywhere is war. War in the east, war in the west, war up north. War down south, war, war, and rumors of war. And here's the part that I like the most in the song. He says, and until that day, the African continent will not know peace. We Africans will fight. We find it necessary, and we know we shall win, for we are confident in the victory of good over evil. Yeah. So going back to the United States Declaration of Independence of 1776, we read it again in context. When in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. So what does all of this have to do with Jesus' text? Well, Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, and Jesus said, truly I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me. Here, here it is, because my word has no place in you. Jesus says, why do you not understand what I'm saying? 
it is because you cannot hear my word. That is an indictment against the United States of America. You cannot hear my word. The truth is not in you. And Jesus says, because you are of your father. Take that however you want. Jesus says, you are of your father, the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature for he is a liar and the father of lies. My brothers and sisters, here is where I come out on all of this. America is a great nation. I consider it a great nation simply because it was birthed and founded on a set of ideas and principles such as separation of powers, representative democracy, constitutionalism, federalism, human rights, and equality before the law. It was founded on those principles and on those ideas. But like any idea and like any principle, if they are not given true governance and administration for everyone, hear me clearly, then those very same principles betray a hypocrisy of heart that is much worse than if there were no principles to begin with in the first place. This is why Frederick Douglass's question is piercing and appropriate. Are the great principles of political freedom and natural justice embodied in the Declaration of Independence extended to us? Sadly, the answer is no. So what does this mean for us, church? It means that for our freedom, yours and mine, we have to not look to the confines of these United States and the government of this nation, who even with their best intentions are really operating huh, from the desires of their father. We have to look to Jesus. That's who we have to look to. Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. All of this history lesson that I gave you is painting a picture, not saying that you should treat, think America as bad. Listen, God knows what he's doing, but I'm telling you, look to the hills from whence cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord. If you're looking for others to make you a person that you need to be and for you to be great and to find your fulfillment in life, then I'm telling you, look to no other than Jesus himself. Freedom is costly. And true freedom always requires a sacrifice. So when Jesus says, if so, if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed, it's not a platitude that simply sounds good, but it is a declaration of independence from sin and evil. That is the root of the issue, my brothers and my sisters. And furthermore, whether there's a black president or a white president, it makes absolutely no difference. Because if you do not have the word of God in you, then a slave you are and a slave to sin you forever will be. And that is the gospel truth. So the real question as we close out Black History Month is not when was America great or if ever. The real question is when will America be ready to be great? That's the real question. And so the answer is, America will be great, and I've given you, I've given some, some, some points. America will be great when, number one, it lives up to the ideals of the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. That's number one. Live up to what you say on paper. 
so that what Frederick Douglass asked in his question applies to not just a few, but to all. Number one. Number two, acknowledge and take responsibility for the evil of slavery. Many people act like, well, you know, it didn't really happen. It wasn't that bad. I mean, look right now, you got rappers. They love the chains around their necks. Acknowledge and take responsibility for the evil of slavery. Number three, repent. America must repent. And number four, make restitution to those that were harmed by the evil of slavery. It's one thing to say, you know, John Perkins made a good point in his book where he says, you know, slavery is like this. You know, it's like you're playing baseball and you get to the ninth inning of the game. For those of you who are familiar with baseball and the team is up to bat. It's the last in the inning. And you just found out that the team that's winning by, by 11 runs to one was cheating the whole game. And you're now in the last inning. They say, okay, from now on, we're going to play fair. In the ninth inning. Are you kidding me? Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. These are dog whistles, brothers and sisters, to a people that have no intention of recognizing your dignity as a human being. So I'm saying to you, we need to recognize that, okay, some battles we need God to fight on our behalf. Number five, develop an infrastructure that seeks to right the wrong of the past. It's one thing to say, okay, we repent, we do all of that, but now you're going to have to, listen, I'm on to these, I'm watching, I'm paying attention to AOC and Bernie Sanders and all of these these people, because I'm telling you right now, until you guarantee free education to every African American in this country, you ain't ready to come to the table to talk. Because you're going to only burden us with student loans that we can't pay back. Meanwhile, we're going to be giving you all that you need in this society. Trust me, brothers and sisters, don't get me started. They better not put me on CNN. Anyway, number six, ask for God's forgiveness. These are my six principles of how you make America great. And I noticed I didn't say again. Because after they signed that declaration, that's the moment America stopped being great. It was good when they wrote it. You're great. But then you stopped. Because as I told you before in the Constitution, when they changed the language from sacred and divine to self-evident, it became less about God and started being about man. And so my brothers and sisters, make America great again when we hear it on TV or anywhere else that the president talks about it. Here's how I want us to think about it. Make America Great Again is going to be a prayer for all of us. Appealing to not the White House, not to Congress, not to the Supreme Court, but to Holy Almighty God. God, this church, this ministry are appealing to you and only you. For we hold these truths to be sacred and divine. Knowing that only you can make America great again. May God richly, richly bless you, my beloved.